Hello and welcome to the Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Patrick Martin and Ryan Goodman. Here to talk UConn men's hoops. The Huskies start their season 7-0. and They're number four in the AP poll, number three in Ken Palm. They just broke a really crazy NCAA record, getting 24 in a row against non-conference opponents by double digits. It's been a, a very interesting start to the season already, uh, but a dominant one. Now they've got a huge test coming up. On Friday, they've got number five, Kansas. They'll be playing UNC on Tuesday, and then the following week, Gonzaga. So we'll find out a lot more about the Huskies in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but to talk about what they've been up to over the last week, they were at Madison Square Garden winning the Empire Classic. That's where they beat Indiana and Texas. Again, did both of those things comfortably. First big test of the season. Uh, and uh, since then, uh, after Thanksgiving, they beat up on Manhattan and UNH. So uh, that's what's gotten us to 7-0. and uh, For starters, though, guys, how do you feel about UConn setting the record for consecutive double-digit wins in non-conference play? I don't know. I mean, it's it, it's neat, yeah. and it obviously is indicative of like where the program has gone. But it, it was nice to pass North Carolina, which you know had, is not really a you know fan favorite amongst here. But no, it's fine. I I don't really have much of a thought on that Ryan yeah no I agree um like it's it's an awesome accomplishment obviously no easy feat especially when you factor in the opponents we took down to get there um I don't want to take away from it but you know obviously the players are focused on um the end goal of winning a championship still and while it's great you know for for them to to break a record, it kind of feels a little bit like one of those random like ESPN factoids they'll pull up during a game where it's like, okay, that's great. Um, but it kind of just sounds a little bit random. I don't want to, again, I don't want to take away from this accomplishment because it is, it is pretty cool. Um, but I was actually talking to my brother the other day and mentioned it to him and he was like, oh, that's dope. Kind of, you know, weirdly specific, but like, that's really hard to do when you think about it. Um, so that's kind of like exactly how I feel about it. Um, I mean, I, I also saw a tweet the other day that said, um, you know, if you told if you told me that after the New Mexico State loss in the tournament, that heartbreaking loss, that we would win 24 consecutive non-conference games in a row by double digits. Like that's, that is kind of insane to think about, um, you know, so... I also kind of agree. Um, it's not the craziest thing in the world, but it is a cool record to beat, especially um, when, you know, the person that we beat was, or the team that we beat was UNC with the Hansborough, I believe. So that is pretty cool. I think the most important thing is it demonstrates that there's been no championship hangover. Um, yeah. In 2014, after they won, that team got nuked. It was Ryan Boatwright in rodney the ferrari purvis they were never really this kind of like oh sorry yeah i'm on shaking his head um but they were never really this wagon that this current team is and i think back also to 2011 
2011, the 2011-2012 season after UConn won, Kemba Walker graduated, but they brought in DeAndre Daniels, Ryan Boatwright, Andre Drummond was that late addition, and they were, I think, preseason number one. And if you look, they dropped a game at this point this year already to UCF. And it was like one of those clunkers, and then they barely beat some, I think, it was like NC State or somebody like that after that. And it was kind of like that, are, by, by, by November, uh, expectations were already adjusted. Whereas this year, we because of this record, we're looking at these three games coming up with like so much anticipation because it's going to be like, wow, we're actually going to be in this as opposed to like, all right, well, we're good, but there's not really repeat aspirations. How many times have you heard national analysts be like, yeah, wow, UConn, they could actually do this. And I think that's becoming more real by the day. And if they perform these next three games, not saying you go undefeated, but two and one or something that shows that you have, you're have you in all these, that buzz is only going to build into the conference. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's an incredibly impressive streak. And yeah, I think the that it speaks to consistency is a, probably the best thing that you can say about it. And the fact that it just includes a lot of high quality opponents, Alabama, Texas, Indiana, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Florida. Um, it includes obviously winning the national championship. You have to do that if you win that many uh, non-conference games by double digits. So uh, that part is cool. It's absolutely uh, an ESPN statistic because an ESPN reporter brought it to Dan Hurley's attention in a press conference because I think they were unable to find out uh, who else who had it otherwise. So I don't think it even came out until uh, an ESPN guy asked his uh, stats department and then it kind of became the countdown uh, during the uh, after the Empire Classic, basically. But yeah, I, I think, you know, the fact that the fact that it's two different teams that did that and uh, are are demonstrating a consistency that Hurley and the staff have and that they've been able to keep from year to year. That's already really impressive. You know, we're going to talk about this team in a little bit. Um, what what they've done and, and how they've done it is is so, so impressive. Um, and it's it's taken a lot of guys stepping up. And uh, but it's it just speaks to uh really really uh strong way in that in that things have been built by hurley at this point uh another question i i did want to pose to you guys you know we're we're seven games into the season we've got this really interesting stretch coming up uh including at kansas unc at madison square garden uh playing gonzaga uh in seattle how have you guys felt about the the early schedule? There's been uh, already kind of we're, we're at MSG twice. There's obviously some marquee games on the schedule. I think people have fairly pointed out that there's not much on the home slate. Uh, those are all kind of the preseason comments comments about it. How has that kind of uh, felt to you now that we've played out some of this season? Well, it, it it's very it's it's tough that UConn's first road test is going to be at Kansas because I think anyone that was there knows that you know the Madison the Garden was absolutely rocking. Indiana fans showed up admirably, but they were, were taken out of the game pretty quickly. That's you. That's you know store south for a reason. Um, 
usually teams that play MTEs at this point can say, okay, we've had some type of road environment. We've been on the road. UConn hasn't really had that. So when you factor in that they're the, the two tough opponents they played were in like a pseudo home environment, and then everyone else were these plus 300 cupcakes, it, it it's going to be a real interesting thought experiment because if they fall completely on their face against Kansas and maybe they you know throw up a dud against Gonzaga, it's going to be like, yeah, you know, they probably needed to be tested a little bit more. Um, but at the same time, you have to trust how this coaching staff has gotten the team prepared because even coming into the Empire Classic, they hadn't played anybody and they looked outstanding against Indiana. So the jury's out, but I, I'm kind of leaning. I, I don't love the schedule. I don't love the like, oh my God, I can't watch any of these teams. You know, this is just, isn't even interesting. You know, but New Hampshire after New Hampshire had nine straight turnovers and as bad as UConn looked later, that game was never in doubt. Nine straight turnovers. It was, it was insanity. Um, So yeah. And I, I have a feeling that's going to come back to bite them in the ass, but we'll see. Yeah, I have similar thoughts. Um, I mean, when you take a look at it from Ken, Ken Palm perspective, 242, 349, 362, 321. Like we have Ugh. we played three teams that are that are 321 or worse, which is absolutely insane. Um, you know, like Patrick said, I'm really glad that we have we have the MSG um and you know Klingon was tested there and and seemed to pass that kind of first big test um and Texas obviously they didn't they didn't have Shedrick so that they were a little shorthanded and Dylan Dsu as well I believe um but yeah I mean I don't I, I wish we could throw in a couple more um you know slightly better teams in there I think it's a little bit too much of tuning up um that's why I'm a little it makes me a little nervous going into Kansas. Um, obviously, you know, the fog is, pro- you know, it, if not the hardest, one of, if not the hardest place to play in the country. Um, but I will say the players that we have on this team, Tristan Newton, Alex Caravan, Cam Spencer, who's played a lot of uh, high-level basketball, you know, on Rutgers last year, played in a lot of big games, hit some big shots. Um, Klingon, obviously, um, Diara, who played a little bit last year. Um, we have guys who have been there, done that, you know, so that makes me feel a little better about having this cupcake of a schedule. Cause I feel like they will, and Hurley will have them ready to go into, you know, go visit Kansas and, and be prepared for that game. Um, but yeah, I, I do kind of think that we could, um, you know, improve the competition slightly in in the non-conference uh, prior to this game. But, you know, it, it's the competition's ratcheting up really quickly with Kansas, North Carolina, Gonzaga on the horizon. Um, so like, you know, Amani, you, you mentioned earlier, we'll really see what this team's made of in the, in the next uh, few weeks or so. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing that, I think is probably clear is that Hurley and UConn have a lot of say in how the schedule turns out. So it's not like uh, the schedule just happens to you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the idea, you know, especially Hurley has shown a high level of awareness for kind of Ken Palm and the advanced metrics and what they mean 
um, and what his teams need to do in those situations, including, um, you know, keeping and building leads and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little surprised knowing that they would have that kind of control, knowing what kind of understanding they have of the analytics of it all, why they wouldn't schedule, like we are saying, slightly better uh, cupcakes, especially when so many of them exist uh, in the area. But I also do think that being said, that it is a conscious decision by Hurley uh, on a number of fronts. A, maybe he knew about this record, but uh, more likely he knew he had a really young team uh, and he knew he had a lot of different pieces that he was integrating onto it and that they needed to find all the different ways to get their act together. Uh, that includes, you know, all of the things that we were about to talk about that have gone well, but even something like some of the things that have been uh, unforeseen, which probably have led Hurley and staff to be even happier that they've softened that schedule again ahead of this stretch, which is really, really tough that, you know, many other teams don't do out of conference at all, anything like what they're about to face. Um, but, you know, Castle being out and uh, Klingon having a preseason injury and then being a little uh, under the weather uh, uh, for the Empire Classic and returning from the injury in the in the early part of the season. So those were kind of some of the things that they were dealing with roster wise. And I think having this schedule be as as soft as possible allowed guys like Solo Ball uh, to to get in and do the best that they could. Jalen Stewart, even to some extent, and even, you know, something like Cam Spencer to, to like get himself onto the path of ramping up his defense. I think it just served a lot of different purposes. And then, yeah, they just really believed in themselves and their own, you know, the staff, uh, given what they had just done uh, to be able to say, I think, I think we can do it. But yeah, I think, I think you could have gone for uh, slightly better teams, as we said, one better home opponent you know i think give your give your home fans give your connecticut fans something in the xl or gamble slate um i understand the big east schedule is going to give them tons of that but what about brian um, what about brian yeah brian hey look brian's a scary team that you got to duck at all costs we all know that we all they know did they did beat fau this year so they're not <laughs> They could be a little scary. Just yeah, saying. transitive <laughs> property win over this over uh, a same team that we have a transitive property win over. So, you get a yeah. scalp over Jalen Gaffney. You just you're coming back wanting more. Everyone yeah. knows that the road to success in basketball in the Northeast goes through Smithfield, Rhode Island. That's that's what they've been saying uh, for years and years in the papers in the Boston Globe. Uh, that's that's the the saying. So, um. Yeah, that's, you know, the, the schedule could have been a little bit better, but hey, look, it's they're the national champions. A lot of pulls on their time. Uh, they're doing some pretty sweet games here, and I think it's just, you know, take take it for what it is. I don't know. Tough, tough. One last thing I'll galaxy brain is that, like, perhaps the most important player on the bench is, is or was Samson Johnson, and there's no player that needed a pot to stack positive reinforcement more than Samson Johnson. And what better place to do that than like Madison Square Garden, where it's technical air quotes in away game, yeah. but you're still surrounded by fans that are, you know, cheering, you know, all those dunks and everything. You know, he got that validation that like, hey, I can play at this level. You know, if he goes, if they go to 
Maui or something, and Osu Igoharo just absolutely dominates him. He he he's not approaching the season on the same trajectory as he is now, where we're looking and saying, "Wow, this this, this look at what we have here as our as our backup. This is essentially Sonogo and Klingon 2.0. So that's obviously not Hurley's intention when he's making the schedule, but it's an unintended benefit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, again, even before Klingon got injured, this is a big ramping up period for for Donovan Klingon on a, on a number of fronts. We know he needs to get kind of his his uh, game readiness and stamina up for a full starter's uh, workload in terms of minutes and banging in the post. And the injury was a little bit of a setback to that. Uh, how are you guys feeling about Klingon's start to the season? And uh, after he got his his 29 points in this last game against UNH, uh, really dominating down low, do you think this is uh, him getting on track, sign of things to come. How are we feeling about Klingon thus far? Obviously, he dominated in the the New Hampshire game, which was great to see. Um, I mean, they just had no answer for him. It's it's kind of funny to see him just go up against one of those, you know, two, three hundred level Ken Palm teams that it's just like, what what can we possibly do? Like, there's literally no, there's nothing we can do to stop him. Um, so hopefully that gives him confidence going into the Kansas game. That'll obviously be a huge test against, um, you know, one of the best players in the country and Hunter Dickinson, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Um, but to be totally honest, I am a little, I don't know about you guys, but I am a little worried and I know it's early in the season and, you know, he's, this is Klingon's first real kind of, um, you know, chance to, to be the guy. And he's you know started off hurt in the season, but I'm a little worried that he might not be you know the borderline all American that people were touting him as uh, you know preaching in the preseason and everything. Um, I mean he's still the number two player on Evan Mia's um, player rankings, which is which is interesting to say the least. I think he was like in the top five all of last year too. So I'm not exactly sure how that's calculated, um, but. I just think he's he's I mean he's moving a tad slow right now. I mean, like like I said, he doesn't seem to be exactly hundred percent. I think last game was big in building his confidence, like I said. Um, but in terms of his back to the basket game and ability to like you know get the ball to him on the block and see him make a play for himself, I just don't think I haven't really seen him do that all that often. And I'm a li- I'm getting a little nervous that like he might not have that part of his game like developed right now, and that might be a little concerning for the potential of this team right now. Um, and and honestly, just like thinking about how that translates to the NBA, um, he kind of needs that in his arsenal to be to be successful in the NBA. I know he's going to be you know a good defender in the paint, obviously, and um, he has other aspects of his game that, that, that can translate, but I just really haven't seen that from him. And we, you know, obviously uh, I think a lot of us during the off season saw clips of him hitting 10, three pointers in a row at practice or whatever. And you can always dream about a seven two um, center, just nailing three pointers, but we haven't really seen him take any jump shots. And I know that's, you know, we, we want to see him dominate 
down low because that's what he's that's what he's built to do um but i just haven't been thoroughly impressed by what i've seen so far and i i don't want to I don't want to knock the kid because, you know, he's obviously he's coming off of that foot injury and he's still got time to ramp up um, and be the player that, you know, he's been touted as. Um, but yeah, just I would say I'm a, a little bit a little bit worried. I'm not sweating it just because this team is so loaded. There yeah. are so many dudes, capital D, up and down this roster that are high usage offensive players when you look at Tristan Newton. Cam Spencer, Alex Carabrand. You probably, if you're running an offense that has someone 6'10 or taller, you like the, the sets are gonna the, the looks are gonna be there for them first if you're not establishing the post. So he he's kind of, I think, just done what he did last year, which is grab a couple, you know, grab offensive rebounds. If there's a size advantage, you hit him, you hit him on a lob, and then you protect the shit out of the rim um in drop coverage I, I think if this team didn't have as many weapons on it as it did and i think that they're going to get stefan stefan castle back uh here too which as another perimeter weapon that is a relatively high usage player uh, i think he would be allowed more room to grow but because this team is so good and because i think they have a chance at doing something historic I think they're almost falling back on his strengths without really in meaning the coaching staff. They're not really letting him experiment and, you know, drift a little bit outside and maybe, you know, try a couple of threes because I, I think the team realizes what, what they have here and just say like, okay, like you're the rim protecting center and you're going to be the lob threat and occasionally we'll, we'll dump it down to you. Um, and I think that they're going to ride that as long as they can. But you know that's not a terrible thing because that's that's keeping his usage fresh. Fresh, um, he came out of all this slate with a sickness and um, in in a bad foot, and he's better off. He's better for. There were no setbacks from either of those things, is what I'm trying to say. And I mean, this Hunter Dickinson test is going to be crazy. It's Kling Kong, Kling Kong versus Flopzilla, but Dickinson is you know, one of the most skilled big men. And as far as a back to the basket or a face up game from the post, he's, he's what Klingon should be, you know, emulate, trying to emulate at that next level. So great test. And then when you think about three, four days later, you have Armando Baycott. Um, now is the time to kind of take the kid gloves off, unwrap the bubble wrap and see what we've got, but don't be, don't be surprised if he's kind of playing to his strengths more than kind of like, you know, flashing his skills for the next level. Imagine if if Drew Timmy was still on Gonzaga and Klingon would have to go up against Dickinson, Baycott, and Drew Timmy three games in a row. That would be insane. Um, Instead, Drew Timmy is getting dunked on by Andre Jackson every <laughs> exactly. day in practice. That'd be yeah. crazy. You'd have to go against two tough matchups and then one extremely soft one that is just only <laughs> by the world. Uh, so cool. Um, yeah, I, so I think with Klingon, it's that we're not going to see him. Like you said, there's so many other guys when everyone's healthy, when the offense is clicking. Uh, we saw, uh, you know, the Indiana and Texas games, I think, again, we we had heard that there's a you know potential illness involved. But I also think you just see the fact that, that 
Uh, it's not going to be like the offense runs through Donovan Klingon and won't score without being able to go to him first every time, you know, as, as every time you're down the floor, it's, it's not like that. Um, you know, it's, it's not even close to that. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's really going to be what he does uh, kind of like in the flow of the offense. And in that respect, maybe there's just some games where he's not really that much of a focal point of, of the attack. And he's mostly there to be the defensive complete, you know, change maker that he is. And then obviously still to be able to do lots of damage around the rim offensively, even if not as part of the offense, but yeah, I mean, I think, they did try to get him to develop that part of the game where they go to him a lot the way they did, you know, all of these games. I mean, he took, what's it? He he took 15 shots against uh, Stonehill. He took 11 against Manhattan, 13 against New Hampshire, hitting 12 of them. Uh, so he, he was just getting in his work, right? Those were, those were Donovan Klingon's reps is what you can think about these these games against those 350 level opponents. Those were Donovan Klingon's offensive reps, but I don't think they're going to go to him. I don't think they're going to ask him to take that many shots in a game uh or or really anything even close to that. So, yeah, I think I think his offensive skill set um is going to be or his off- his role in the offense is going to be appropriate relative to his skill set. Uh we can hope again, especially once Castle's back. He's also coming off the Texas game where Texas's two best front court players were out and in Texas went super duper small ball and mm-hmm. he was being forced to chase dudes around on, you know, couldn't, you know, the drop coverage was all in shambles when he was on the court. Uh, add in the fact that he was sick too. Um, it was just a nightmare game. So I think that like, because that was the last high level opponent that they played that left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Also because like the, difference was so noticeable when samson johnson came back in that you had some idiots just being like oh wow you know it might be a turning of the tide here samson johnson's better um come on no ball please that i think is leading to all this perception of like how's he doing how's it gonna be um these next three games are much more his speed um while he's getting up to speed he is. Uh, I, we will see. Uh, obviously, again, I think this is this is a really great matchup against Hunter Dickinson. I think, especially when UConn is on defense, it's going to be a really interesting and fun matchup to watch. And then, um, I think, I think offensively, it's going to be about uh, some of Donovan Klingon's passing abilities and maybe passing out of the post and what he's able to do on that front. Uh, one of the keys to the season for UConn has been uh, the guy manning, I guess, the four for the Huskies, and that's Alex Caraban. Uh, obviously, someone who had a really, really impressive freshman season uh, and someone who had a lot of anticipation and hype for what he would be as a sophomore. But you really have got to hand it to him, folks. Alex Caraban has uh been up for the challenge he seems like he's making the sophomore leap uh his shot has not been falling as of late like as of this exact moment like the last game uh against new hampshire but in general i think he's shown an ability to score from all three levels like we said in the last podcast that continued against the better competition he showed 
a little bit of ice in his veins with those uh, end of shot clock uh, fadeaway uh, buzzer beater type type shots. Um, Alex Caravan, I think, is is the the really one of the straws that is stirring this drink, and I think one of the really exciting elements of this team. I think it's still lots of upside for him to to grow and do more. He hit a season. He hit a career high in the season opener. Uh, but I think, like I said, I, I like his chances of beating that again at some point this season. Alex Caravan, how are you guys thinking about, how are you guys feeling about his start to the season? I mean, as a as a heavy shareholder of the Alex Caravan is going to get drafted next year stock. Um, yeah, no, I'm thrilled with how the investment has turned out. He's just everything is just smoother he he's moving around he, he's he's more fluid on offense uh he's not just kind of being the role player and that the hits an open three um and yeah i mean i have nothing to say about you know he's he's the leader on the team he's calling people into the huddle um we, we saw the two shots that he hit against texas he can score if you need he can connect if you need it's basically you know Andre Jackson left such a huge hole in this team as far as like all of his abilities. And a lot of them were not, did not really stand out on the box score, but one of them was be that connector of like, what does this team need in this possession? Is there a breakdown in this set? Okay. Let me make a cut. Um, you know, do I have to be the decoy here? Okay. Let me sell this, you know, hit, hit this screen hard. Um, or just, you know, do I, you know, is there 10 seconds left and I, you know, solo ball, throws it to me and that's not the right pass. And I have to go throw something up. He's going to do that. Um, that's what we kind of talked about as like a, a big question about UConn this year is who, who takes that shot when everything breaks down. And so far, knock on wood, but like there's been three guys not to take it away from Caravan, but like Caravan, Cam Spencer, and Tristan Newton have all shown that they can kind of break someone down off the dribble and put something up. And that's a huge development, I think. Uh, but yeah, no, Caravan, baby, ride, ride that all the way. Clay Thompson, I told you all. Clay Thompson, two point That that's his NBA comp. What do you think, Goodman? And what's your what's your NBA comp for Alex Caravan? I think that's a pretty good comp. Um, I mean, they're both deadly shooters. Um, I mean, obviously, Caravan is gonna. Well, I guess at the NBA at the NBA level, he would be more of a perimeter player. Um, but you know. At this level, he's able to he's able to get his in the paint as well. Um, I'll have to think on the NBA comp. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but no, I, I echo all the the things that um, Patrick shared about oh. about Caravan. Um, Kyle, Kyle Corver is his YC in all seriousness, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if he's that good of a shooter. I mean, Kyle Corver is like legendary status, you know. Caravan was but, probably if, I, if we have the numbers up, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but no, I what I love most about what I've seen from Caravan so far is his leadership abilities. I feel like, you know, we had a lot of guys leave from last year. A lot of uh or I mean, Andre Jackson was obviously the leader of the team. Sonogo Hawkins was the, the leading scorer, I think, him or Sonogo, but he um his ability to take over a game, obviously, he was he was one of the, the main guys as well. Um, and Caravan was just a freshman, but you know, this year he's, he's only a sophomore and he's, 
he's kind of taken over that that leadership uh, role with Tristan Newton. Um, someone pointed out, you know, during during the timeouts, like he's he's getting all the guys organized. He's the one that's convening the huddles on the court. Um, and he's yeah, like he's like uh, Patrick said, he's he's been the connector of this team in a lot of ways. Um, but also he's he's um, he's he's shown the ability to be the guy in big moments. I mean, against Texas, I'm I'll be I'll be totally honest. I did not think he was going to hit either of those shots. Um, he's not he's not overly athletic, so he he has a hard time beating his defender a lot of the time. Um, sneaky athleticism. Shot, <laughs> there is sneaky athleticism. Um, but his shot, his, his shot making is so elite that he's able to just score, you know, over smaller defenders or defenders that are even more athletic than him. Um, and I'll, also I would say, I love that his, his three point shot has been, has been consistent over, you know, over last year, I, I thought it might take a dip potentially just because with how many options we had in our team last year, he got a lot of open shots and I know, you know, we played a lot of not great teams thus far and he's received a lot of open looks knocked down most of them uh, but against texas four for eight from three eight for 14 from the field um indiana he was five for ten from the field like he's he's still proven that um you know he's going to show up for these big games um so i i yeah i only have good things to say about him it's it's been awesome to see him him grow in his his sophomore year and kind of take over that that leadership and, captain role. And to that point, so he was he was like a 40% uh three-point shooter last year. Uh right now he's at 31% because he is over his last eight, uh, did not hit one uh in the New Hampshire game or the Manhattan game. But yeah, I have all the confidence in the world that that will uh get better. And I will even go one step further and say that I bet Caravan has a big game against Kansas. I think you have to give credit to the fact that he's shown up in the bigger games, 20 points against Texas, 13 points against Indiana. He's, uh, you know, someone who I think is going to be assertive, someone who I think UConn, UConn can go to if shots aren't falling, if if they are in a funk for whatever reason. Uh, he's absolutely one of the guys they can go to, and he's one of the guys who will want the ball, even if he's missed his first five shots. I think he'll have the confidence to take that sixth one, so... Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm, uh, super energized by the fact that he's missed his last eight three point attempts because, uh, he's going to obviously come back with a vengeance here for this Kansas game because he, he's, you know, he's also just a s smart player. He, he knows what this game is all about. Uh, he knows what it means for his legacy. Uh, if he's trying to leave for the NBA after this year, he's gotta, he's gotta show up in games like this. So I think that's, uh, that's going to be my, my hot, hot take here is that I like, I like Alex Caraban to have a really good game against Kansas. There will definitely be a lot of NBA scouts in that arena. So that, that would go a long way in terms of uh, his NBA potential and draft stock potentially. Hey, he plays for the name on the front, not in the back. This guy, <laughs> this guy loves ball. He, he absolutely loves ball. He, there was one, uh, there was one, uh, well, first of all, a couple of, couple of press conference moments. First of all, Dan Hurley, just kind of out of nowhere being like, he's an NBA player and he should have been Big East player. He should have been Big East rookie of the year last year. He just kind of, you know, it's just like Dan Hurley's on this like Gino-esque stretch of time where people can't like question him so hard. Uh, right now he's the reigning, he's the head coach of the reigning national 
champ, so he can just oh. kind of say stuff. And just uh, don't you dare bring up TikTok around him either. I know, I know. We we put that video on TikTok, so I guess we're part of the problem. But yeah. Um, and then yeah, there's there's a moment, there's a another time at MSG where someone's asking Alex about like, um, you know, hitting late shots or something like that, and work at it was a you know how do you feel talk about type type, you know, multi-sentence uh, institutional journalistic question. But he was just like, I just love basketball, man. <laughs> he just, he just, he was like, yeah, man, I just, I just love basketball. <laughs> and, and Hurley also at one point said something like he just has no distractions outside of basketball. He just, he's just laser focused. Just a so, gigantic nerd that is yeah, just in the yeah. gym. <laughs> has he's, no yeah. life he's a massive yeah exactly he'd be succeeding in whatever it is uh whether that was the tuba or uh pursuing medicine but alex caravan decided to ch- he decided he loved ball and he went down a path and and here he is so uh yeah it's awesome it's awesome that that he's at uconn and and killing it like this so i guess after the u uh, new hampshire game when hurley was talking talking about the players getting off their phones and getting i think you said uh they need to get off their video game headset or something (laughs) um yeah i guess very specific right (laughs) i I wonder who's calling out there um but yeah it seems like hairband is not is not the guy that he's he's talking about you think video game headset meant nintendo switch I think that's what that meant, but quite possibly. No, because isn't like like Fortnite? Don't you like wear like a headset for that? So there's Is VR it... headsets, but I highly doubt. Oh, he said headset. He said or... he said he said he said your video game headset. Oh, yeah. you know what? Lots of people, the gamers, the... like yeah, yeah that's, I mean, that's just wear a normal like oh, wow. mic oh, okay, and headset. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't have to be yeah. like a Oculus situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I. I highly doubt Alex Caravan is reading the headlines. You know, honestly, I, I, I cannot imagine Alex Caravan is out there Googling his name, searching his name on Twitter. You know, again, he's, he's in the gym. He's watching film. He's putting up a thousand shots. He's not searching Caravan on Twitter. He's not searching Carabananza. He's not, he's not desperately hoping for a new nickname to come out. He's putting up shots in the gym. That's what Alex Caravan is up to. He's putting. He's doing it right now. So, uh, thank you to Alex Caravan for that. Um, another guy with with NBA potential who we have no choice but to bring up and talk about and uh, really assign a lot of importance uh, for this team is Samson Johnson. Uh, Patrick alluded to you know some of what the early part of the season has meant for him uh, and has meant a whole lot for Hurley and the Huskies, uh, what he's been able to do. Um, he brings a different type of center off the bench, which uh, that's always great when you can bring in two different guys who uh, cause problems for, for opponents at the rim. And uh, what an, ex- what an exciting uh, player he's been. I think uh, he's also been playing approximately, you know, similar minutes to, to a starter, to a Klingon type person. And um I I think uh I think again also, you know, just like just like with some of the other guys, we we still have the best the best of Johnson ahead of us. Uh so how, how have you guys 
thought about Samson Johnson's start to the season thus far? Oh, it's, it, it's amazing. It, you know, beyond the program testament of like, you know, if guys like Jalen Stewart or Jaden Ross don't end up playing a huge role this year, just look at Samson Johnson and say like, I, I have a shot here. If I put my, you know, put my nose to the grindstone and work and the coach, trust me, um, you know, kudos to the staff for keeping him around. We all saw that story, how, you know, you had teams trying to poach him in the middle of the title run, you know, trying to get him to, you know, go for a change of scenery. Kudos to him for having faith in the coaching staff because it's clearly paying dividends. Um, the dude is just an absolute freak of nature, but at the same time, you can see every game he's developing more confidence. And it's it's just amazing to see that like this is the dude who last year when he came back, he looked absolutely lost on that team. Just didn't know where to play, you know, was floating around the perimeter. And now he just he has a purpose. He's talking on defense. And it's the small things, you know, the hedging, moving his feet, moving, you know, avoiding fouls. I mean, his his first three minutes of this season, he picked up two fouls. And and I think, you know, it had everyone wondering, like, okay, like the dunks are great, but is he just so raw? that he's unplayable and that turned out to be a incredibly freezing cold take um and i mean just the the vertical threat that he supplies the same way that Klingon was um not as much of the rim protection but just still having the physical presence and the length inside it, it's it's such a luxury. <laughs> like, do we realize that what we've had for these last two years, usually when your star center picks up two fouls, everyone's freaking out. Now, every, now everyone's saying like, Oh wow. Samson Johnson's going to catch a body here. Like he, he, he's going to do something ridiculous. And it's just like that, that, that is a luxury that very few teams have. And we need to be really thankful for him and excited for you know his continued development because, I mean, think of that back you know the, he had one, I think it was Tristan Newton cutting in the first half of the of the of the New Hampshire game, a one handed bounce pass in the lane from Samson Johnson. I mean, are you are you kidding me? That like that he has so much untapped skill that I think it's just going to be eventually chipped away, chipped away to the point that like maybe next year, yeah, he is going to get his name called. Meaning like next year, like next year's draft, not like, not the 2024 draft, the 2025 draft. I'm just happy that Samson Johnson was able to beat the Richie Springs and Javante Brown Ferguson allegations that people were throwing around. Yes. Um, I mean, even in our Slack messages, I know people were, you know, were saying, is he good? I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, he seems to be really athletic and he seems to have all the potential in the world. And obviously Hurley said, you know, he's 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 an NBA player. Um, so, no, I, I've just been just incredibly impressed with how he's played so far. Like Patrick said, he started off the season with 2000. It's like, oh, no. Like, is this, how is this going to go? Is it, you know, we, last year we had Klingon come in for Sonogo and it was the most unfair thing I've, I've seen in college basketball in a while. Um, and if we don't have that, like, can we, you know, how is that going to impact the ceiling of this team? 
but it's been it's been crazy i mean he he comes in he he's so active in all aspects of the game he's locked in on defense he's more he's more he's more athletic than Klingon, obviously so he, he's more of a lob threat um you know obviously Klingon has the, the height and size advantage um but just his versatility on defense ability to switch and just recover more than Klingon, I think is is really key um to this team and we've, we've seen that so far um he runs the floor so freaking hard I mean it's it's insane how fast he gets up and down the court um and he was just catching bodies in the the Texas game it was it was phenomenal to watch um so yeah he he's been a revelation thus far honestly um and I think he's he's come a long way already um obviously he's been with the program for this is his third year I believe um um so he's had time obviously you know injuries have have derailed that and and getting buried on the bench as well um but yeah it's just really impressive the determination of this kid um and I'm I'm just so excited for him and excited for you know what he can bring what he's bringing to this team and and how much he raises the ceiling I mean I think he is he is that guy that can really raise the ceiling to another level in terms of like last year that was Klingon where okay All-American Sunogo goes out and he gets a rest Kling comes in we're basically we're not missing a beat and actually improving on defense in in some ways so if we're able to get you know 80 percent of that that's that's scary for the rest of the country, honestly. Um, so yeah, it's been great. Yeah. He's he's absolutely huge. It's uh, Her- Hurley calls it the movement center role. Uh, you you hoop heads might know it more. I'm I'm like okay, cool. Thank you for repeating it. So That's that just I'm, a fancy way of saying rim runner. Yeah, which which right? I which I think speaks to exactly the fact that he runs the floor well, and maybe that some centers are. Uh, low movement centers may be a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things. It's, it's, it is a really great testament to the Dan Hurley model that is unfolding here at UConn. Uh, a, if he likes a guy, uh, just trust him on it. Right. That's, that's what we've learned so far. We've, we've been uh, schooled on a few fronts. Uh, Andre Jackson doubters, uh, Tristan Newton doubters, uh, anyone else look if he if he likes a guy just uh just take his word for it even maybe maybe uh cam spencer you know a guy he said i like cam spencer i like what he brings and we are seeing why uh already through we saw it through you know two and three games but uh seeing it more and more through seven so uh but yeah and then i think just it's yeah it's crazy what he brings and it's really important because it's something a little bit different from Klingon. And I think on an energy level, something that UConn can really feed off of. Uh, I think even just like the NAU game season opener, uh, Cam, Cam Spencer being able to get that alley-oop to him early in the game gets the people going. Uh, so, you know, you're still going to have those games, right? You're playing Manhattan, you're playing Arkansas Pine Bluff. and But hey, at least three Samson Johnson alley-oops are going down. Uh, and that's and that's what we've seen and uh, that's that's what part of what it's been about but yeah i think for for yukon it's it is going to be interesting because i do think a lot of teams are smaller but uh yeah for those that maybe have more athletic big men or multiple big men that they use uh 
it's it's a huge huge option to have and um you know i we've brought it up on the last one the johnson plus clinging on the court at the same time we saw it against indiana uh but no i'm good i think it's uh i think it's just not going to really make sense from a matchup perspective ever unless you have another team that has Donovan Klingon and Samson Johnson, maybe then it makes sense. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't know if it's going to work out matchup wise, but I, I remain enticed by it just from a pure uh, visual perspective. And I think both of them fancy themselves as good enough shooters to pull it off, but I don't think right now that's the case or it's something that we need to do. So no, thanks. Take it away. But looking at Friday, if Klingon picks up two fouls, okay, bring in Samson Johnson. Let's see what he has. If Hunter Dickinson, if they don't call his, if his flops reverse and he gets called for two fouls, who does Kansas bring at? Mm-hmm. I, 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 the, the Clements guy, no, does, does, does not do anything for me. And, and same for North Carolina with Armando Baycott. And those are two, you know, all pre, you know, all American type players that have nobody behind them. You know, for good reason, because they're All-American players. Klingon is also an All-American player who happens to have an NBA potential guy behind him. There may be one or two schools in the country that have that type of depth in the front court. And again, that was an off-season question that is so far turning into an exclamation mark. So when you think you have like, we know who the playmakers are. We know what the front court depth is like. Um, it these things are being answered as we're hitting the the best portion of the schedule. And God, I love it. And we're about to get Stefan castle back. Probably not for Kansas. I don't, I don't honestly, I don't even want him back for Kansas. That feels like way too rushed. Um, I am a little the- nervous about that too. I like, I, I don't know. I, the fact that it's like still questionable. I'm like, uh, maybe, I don't want it. I, 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 I I think it's because I, I I obviously want him to to I, I I'm going to the game so I like want to see him play but at the same time I'm like okay I care more about the longevity of his UConn career which Castle. might which might be one year so I don't want to jeopardize that and I also genuinely believe that we could win without him like we don't really need him to win this game so. I'm I'm kind of with Patrick. I I kind of like don't. I'm a little it, nervous. I don't really want to. They see don't. Him. Their their season isn't in their their, their seating isn't in jeopardy. Um, right. they don't need him to win that game. They don't necessarily even to win that game. But what they do need him for is to win the Big East. And right. like the way they're treating Klingon with kid gloves, bring him along when he's ready. Um, maybe. Because there's the Arkansas Pine Bluff game between Gonzaga, right? So maybe you yes. trot him out for the Arkansas Pine Bluff game, and he goes full thr- full throttle in Gonzaga, and he's good to go. That's fine. Mm-hmm. No complaints about that. Because I think we saw enough of his skill set in the games that he played to know that what he's going to bring. And if you rush him back and he tweaks and aggravates something – it's going to start to be a slippery slope for like all the good things we're talking about. You know, it's nice to say them now knowing that we have a McDonald's all American coming back from injury. But if we don't have that, everything becomes a little dicier. 
Yeah, I mean, I do think there's a, a huge underlying piece of all of this that we've been talking about with light of UConn's impressive performance is that they've been doing it without Castle for these last uh, four, uh, four or five games. And um, yeah, I mean, the fact that I, I think in terms of his timeline for return, of course, agree that there's no need to rush. It it must just be that it is not that serious of a situation. I've been trying to monitor him closely during pregame warmups. Um, I mean, you know, he was out there before the UNH game. Uh, he was out there taking shots. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the videos. He, he looks, didn't he didn't looks Hurley say something how he's like a Peloton king? Yeah. He's, riding he's just, the bike been, just been beating up that Peloton. He's been riding the bike. He's been doing his rehab. He's getting a Peloton uh, NIL deal. Come on, Peloton. Come on. Peloton also sponsor a, a small podcast that covers UConn men's basketball and uh, other stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I think there is there certainly is no like huge stake. This Kansas or UNC game specifically, like you have said, and. I don't even think there are really concerns about UConn's ability to compete without Castle in these games, um, which is also kind of funny, like, um, but that is what it is. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think they'd want to rush him back, but I do think, you know, if let's just say he did not play the UNH game as, as an absolute precaution already, and maybe it's just, you know, they're, they're waiting they're awaiting a final go ahead um, before, before clearing him. There's actually going to be one more press availability before the Kansas game. So we might find out a little bit more then, but I think, look, UConn has been getting it done uh, even with castle out. And a large part of that has been due to an experienced backcourt duo. And not only do we have an experienced backcourt duo of Cam Spencer and Tristan Newton, but we are also ready to unveil a brand new nickname live here on the Fast Break Podcast. He was the first overall draft pick in the NFL draft one year. Oh, brother. Cam Newton, that's our backcourt. That's what we're calling it from now on. Cam Newton back there in the backcourt, making plays, smooth as hell. Uh, big plays, that's Cam Newton for you. Uh, but But in all seriousness... Uh, Cam Spencer right now leading the team in scoring. Tristan Newton putting up a triple-double against Manhattan. Uh, he's averaging almost eight, seven assists per game and eight rebounds per game. Both team highs. Uh, they're so good. They're so smooth. They're so dependable. Uh, they are keeping the team going while they are without Castle, while sometimes guys, uh, other guys are not at their best. Uh, and I feel like even when their shots aren't falling, both Spencer and Newton have shown an ability to get to the rim and draw some fouls so that they are still scoring, so that uh, points are still going up, even if necessarily the offense is not flowing. They've played out there with the younger guys a lot too, uh, so they're also helping with the development. Um, we love Cam Newton. We love Cam Spencer. We love Tristan Newton. Uh, Patrick, thoughts on our uh backcourt of the future from God, the past. I, that that nickname is probably your ninth symphony right there that is, i you, i can't wow. see any way you top that so you know hats off to that outstanding work when i saw that on the google doc it just you know it made me smile and i can't wait to spread 
the the gospel of Cam Newton to the masses in in this coming season, and it works so well because Cam Newton is not everyone's favorite football player. Caravan was kind of like the scapegoat for like the defensive issues and you know getting exposed. Tristan Newton was air quotes not a point guard. You know he the two don't really like they have such different skill sets that like it it just fits. And so I absolutely love that as far as the nickname. And we've already talked about Caravan. And what I want to focus on with Tristan Newton is, and I wrote about this in our takeaways, which can be found on the Yukon blog later, or maybe on the fast break. I'm not sure which one. Um, but when you look at these, so it was a blind resume of who is six in the country in assists, leads their team in rebounds, only player in the country to average more than six rebounds and six assists a game, seventh in Evan Maya's uh, offensive BPR, second in the country in plus minus. It ain't Tyler Kulik who who got all the awards and gets all of the publicity for good reason. He's a nice player, but no, that is Tristan freaking Newton who is who who has those stats to back up. It was unbelievable when I unearthed all that. That oh, oh Tyler Kulik, oh my God, look look at all his passes, look at what he does. Oh, he's got this little scoop shot. Great, great, wow. Thank you, thank you for all that buzz, but. Meanwhile, we have Tristan Newton here quietly and humbly doing his thing. Couldn't be happier for him. Couldn't be happier for Aaron Jones. Uh, get well soon with his injury. Um, and couldn't be happier for Cam Newton. I hope we uh, get that get Cam Newton trending on Twitter. We get we 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 uh, you round up the UConn Twitter masses and and get Cam Newton the name trending for it not reasons related to the actual cam newton i think i think actual cam newton would step in i'm not sure if he's he might has a vocal online presence but if he does you, you guys don't know so he like uses some weird font on twitter do you do you have any recollection of this he cam newton you know like i think we have to get we have to start maybe um We'll start taking the press conference uh, picks of Tristan Newton and Cam Cam Spencer. Oh and stuff God, like these these look like wingdings like hats and the fur. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. Oh yeah, he uses like a wingdings style font on Twitter, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So Cam Cam Newton is more complex than we think, and I think that's an appropriate analogy for our guys here, Cam Spencer and Tristan. Oh, we got to Photoshop crazy hats on both of them. Yeah, exactly. Crazy fur hats onto uh, Cam Spencer, Tristan Newton. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, you know, the thing with Newton has been that you could totally see the potential for like a castle situation to be a overshadowing element and experience. And it certainly kind of was, uh, you know, I can say in the preseason, he probably fielded a lot of questions about Stefan castle and, uh, other guys, <laughs> how's Donovan Klingon? How's Cam Spencer? Uh, so um, but at the same time, I also do think like when people are like, oh, someone's so underrated, it's like, I don't know. I think Tristan Newton was has been appreciated plenty. He was the leading scorer in the national championship game. He was a starter on last year's team. I think UConn fans and anyone who follows the Big East has has rated rated him properly. Um, and then Cam Spencer, similar. I think I think, you know, UConn fans had high expectations for him. He came in with a strong resume. He was Rutgers 
tied for Rutgers leading scorer. So um, it's just great that his skill set is translated and what Hurley said he would bring and how it would fit has, has all worked out. But um, I mean, it's, it really is just like, looks like best case scenario really from those two and from a lot of other situations across the roster. And as we discussed last year in the kind of our season download, it's just, that's what it takes. I just remember looking on Evan Mia's transfer ratings back when Tristan Newton, well, back when we were, you know, portal shopping and looking at potential players, seeing Tristan or, you know, Tristan, Tristan Newton commits to Connecticut. All right, let's look this guy up. What's he about? He was so far down that transfer portal ranking list. But I also looked at his stats and I was like, oh, he's averaging what 16, five and five. Like that's a that's a really good player. Um, obviously the competition was a lot, um, was not not great at ECU. Um, but just to see him go from like an afterthought, good player, obviously, but in terms of like high major college basketball, not really a player that was on any type of radar to now, as Patrick mentioned, you know, being one of the top 10 uh, plus minus and offensive players in the country on, you know, obviously national champion as well. Um, It's just, it's just incredible to see. And I know you guys haven't brought this up yet, but I was waiting until we brought up the Cam Newton thing just to talk about Cam Spencer a little bit. But I'll take us back to the summer when we were, you know, again, portal shopping after we had a bunch of departures, Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, and Adam Sinogo, core of the team. A guy named Nick Timberlake. Yes, I knew I was. (laughs) Is on the radar. The showdown. He's down to No, it's not going to be a showdown. And UConn and UNC. UConn fans everywhere are torn. Nick Timberlake decides to go to Kansas. UConn fans everywhere are just raging on Twitter. They're upset. How can we miss out or get on this, you know, top guy in the portal? He's a great shooter. He's, you know, he can fill in for at least some of the, the things you miss from Jordan Hawkins. Well, it turns out that was a blessing in disguise because that opened the door for Cam Spencer, as you all know, transfer from Rutgers to come in. And now lead the team in scoring through seven, six or seven games. Um, and what is Nick Timberlake doing? Jack does anyone, shit. Does anyone, does, do you guys know how many points he's averaging or want to guess? Four. Four points per game. Four points per game. He is shooting 27% from three. 33% from the field. And yeah, four points per game. I mean, what a blessing in disguise that was. Insane, insane. Just the universe works in mysterious ways. Just, you know, they just let just let things play out as they are as they are. And it worked out for UConn. So I'm very glad. I've got a I've got a couple of working theories about about what happened there. Um so you know, we we don't know for sure that the staff had Timberlake over Spencer, right? All all we know for sure is that Timberlake has an offer from UConn. And as I have said, you know, Cam Spencer is not tweeting out his offers, right? Cam Spencer is not like blessed to have received an offer from the University of Dada. You know, 
and like got his picture of his official visit with the coach and a letterman jacket and all that. He's not Game Spencer that is throwing darts at every team he lost to. Yeah, exactly. In the exactly. Cam Spencer is writing the license plate of the head coach who drove past him, you know, <laughs> over and over and over. Um, I, I think that Nick Timberlake and the like fan thing around him, this is going to be again, maybe my, maybe a hotter take than my caravan will have a good game against Kansas. Following the Nick Timberlake recruitment and being serious about it was the most casual fan dropping in on a team that just won a championship and deciding that you care more now and are going to start covering and following not covering following recruiting like that like you're serious about it that way all of a sudden be like oh, i'm so sad we missed out on nick timberlake bro you just found out about nick timberlake what do you mean you're so sad follow a real recruit that you get sad about missing he played at Towson. Talk to me about Hamadou Diallo. You know, talk to me about the real ones that broke your heart. Don't Diamond Stone. Yeah, talk, <laughs> talk to Cooper me flag count. Those. That, talk to that me count? pain like that. Yeah. Uh, don't talk to me about oh I, I have you guys do you guys watch Futurama? I don't. Oh my god. You guys are gonna be only this when is... I was stoned in college. Okay, well, so anyway, um there's there's a scene where you know the you know the part of the premise they're in the year 3000 the the pizza the pizza delivery boy gets frozen he's a big uh, star trek fan he finds out in the year 3000 that they added a new character welshy um and he you know he just he just finds out about welshy 2 minutes later welshy dies and he's all tearing he's like welshy that's the casual yukon fans finding out about nick timberlake and then getting mad that they didn't get him no big deal. It was no big deal back then. That's what I was saying. Like you said, he went to Towson. And then I will just add, we said this. We said this back then. Cam Spencer has the Timberlake resume one year earlier, then transferred to Rutgers, proved he could do it at a higher level, and now he's coming to UConn. So, of course, of course UConn was better off. I I truly do think the staff um, was not caught up in the Nick Timberlake you know, Twitter, uh, Twitter storm. And I'm, I'm at, of the belief that they had Spencer targeted higher. Uh, and that's what happened. And well, it, was it was even funnier then yeah. to see the, to, to, to see UConn Twitter, then kind of put itself in a pretzel after the Cam Spencer rumors came about of like, Oh no, no, this is who we wanted. No, no, no. We wanted him. Like, God, look at it. He's such a great fit. Like, Oh, like, wow. I mean, Rutgers, like, Oh, this is so much better. Um, I've just been scouring the portal, watching film for days and days. And this guy, Cam Spencer, standing out to me, actually, now that I've moved on from Nick Timberlake. This is completely off the rails. But <laughs> to, in, in all seriousness, like, whatever, Timberlake, you know, best of luck or whatever, cry me a river. Um, I'm pretty sure the three of us could put up four points a game for playing, you know, in his spot. I can give you four points on that Kansas team. I saw him play against Marquette, and he looked like a scared puppy. And to be fair, everyone on Kansas looked like a scared puppy in that game. That's got, true. Marquette got wrecked. Marquette is just an absolute, you know, unit there. They're scary, <laughs> but um, yeah, and like you know, but like like Ryan said, like it worked out better. Of like, Cam Spencer has the is like a Dan Hurley 
clone. Like it, it Cam Spencer is a quiet Dan Hurley or like a less petty Dan Hurley. Um, and honestly, I, it's very clear. Of course, Timberlake is of is obviously going to have 15 points on Friday and absolutely bury UConn. But <laughs> as of now, he just does not have that dog in him. And, you know, Huskies, baby. Also, I didn't realize this, it was, this is his sixth year in college, which is pretty crazy. Bro, yeah. get a job. Six year, and you're putting up four points per game for Kansas. Yeah. I, I hope I hope that new car is working out well, bud. Yeah, hope, hopefully it lasts 20 years because uh, you're going to need it. Uh, well, I think that's probably as good a time as any to talk about this Kansas matchup a little bit more. As you guys discussed, Kansas did – uh, take an L on the season. I have no idea what that's like, but they did lose a game. Uh, they lost, you know, pretty comfortably to Marquette uh, on that neutral in that neutral game. Um, still a fairly good team, though. They had a solid wins over Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh, common opponent Manhattan, uh, that whose head coach told us that UConn's better by a couple baskets. So uh, why don't we start there? Do you agree? with the assessment of John Gallagher, head coach at Manhattan, that UConn is better than Kansas by a couple baskets. How do you feel about this matchup? On a neutral court, I think UConn's better. Uh, having this being the first true road test for, for this team, this is the only time I will credit Kansas because I can't stand Bill Self and I can't stand their fans, but they have a great environment there. Fog is a bucket list. Ryan, I'm pumped that you're going to that. That's going to be so sick. Um, because yeah, I'm it's so, so excited for that. I mean, I I've probably never been as excited to to go to any college basketball game. In this absolutely, one. absolutely. Yeah. And because it's so sick, it's going to be a very tough game. Um, looking at kind of like the matchups, like Dewan Harris and Hunter Dickinson have that pick and roll going. You know, it's running to perfection already in November. Dick Dewan Harris is like the best pure point guard in the country and Dickinson, you know, he's shooting 60% from three he's and he's taking two per game. Um, and he also can kind of, you know, hit you down low. He's perfect for like bill selfs high, low and with clinging and drop coverage, not really sure how he's going to respond to that. Klingon's one defensive weakness is that he doesn't really kind of like cover in motion. And that's kind of all they do with Dickinson is get him in kind of like movement, um, but you know, at the same time, like I, you know, Kansas has four dudes with Harris, McClure, Adams, and Dickinson. Beyond that, their depth is a little shaky. So if UConn can hang around and get a more balanced attack, get some of those guys in foul trouble, I'm really interested to see how those like last 10 minutes go if UConn's uh, like within five points. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that stands out the most when you look at this matchup on paper is obviously the Klingon versus Hunter Dickinson uh, battle. Dickinson is a legit Naismith candidate um, with Edie. I think I honestly can't see anyone else winning the Player of the Year award at this point. I mean, it's Edie's to lose still, but Dickinson, through six games, is averaging 21 and 13 and like and two assists and two steal i mean he's just been a monster and like patrick said he's also shooting 67% from 3 
you know, albeit only on like 14 attempts, but still he's hitting most of his shots. So um, that says a lot. I think that the main thing I am concerned about is like self is going to try to pull Klingon away from the paint where he's most comfortable. And Dickinson can obviously score from outside. So that definitely worries me a lot. Um, and like the whole switching aspect of it and can Klingon recover, like Patrick was saying, can Klingon, Klingon recover quick enough? And if he gets into foul trouble early, I this is the nightmare scenario. If Klingon gets into foul trouble early and Dickinson's just, you know, he's he's having a game and then he gets Samson Johnson into foul trouble. And it's like, you just have to play that game where like you're subbing them, you know, in and out like every few minutes. And it's like, this is- and There's no flow. There's no, There's no flow, flow. To right? Way. You're right because they they do different things on offense as well, and that just ruins your offensive flow. So that is definitely something I'm probably the most worried about. Um, and in terms of like the other matchups, you look on paper: Dewan Harris, probably Tristan Newton. Dewan Harris, Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year last year, incredible on-ball defender. Um, he's not he's not a great offensive player. I think he averages like seven a game. Um, but he's probably like Patrick said, the best pure floor general and that he, he knows where the ball should be at all times and he rarely makes mistakes. Um, so I think he has the advantage slightly over Newton. He's, he's definitely a lot smaller. So I think Newton, you know, Newton could, could have a, has a side advantage there and could maybe take him, take him inside. Um, but McCuller on, Cam Spencer, McCullough is also a really good defender in his own right. KJ Adams on Caravan, like they have some really, really good defenders on, in their starting five. Um, but I think, as Patrick mentioned, you know, the main thing that sticks out to me is UConn's advantage on the bench. Like Kansas only really goes seven deep. They have El Marco Jackson, who he's a five star shooting guard. He starts. Um, uh, he started a couple games, I think, Johnny Furphy as well. But they really – and, like, Nick Timberlake, who is not doing a lot. Um, four points per game. <laughs> four points per game. Um, but UConn definitely has an advantage, uh, uh, like, from a bench perspective. You know, Hassan Diara, Samson Johnson um, are, are some really uh, high-level contributors so far in this game um, or for this team. Um, so I think – you know, if somehow we're able to get Dickinson in foul trouble, like where we got it in the back. Like I, I genuinely don't see how uh, Kansas wins the game if like Dickinson is neutralized by foul trouble. Um, but again, it's more likely that that will happen to us. Um, so that obviously gives me some concern. But yeah, from a pure matchup standpoint, I think. You know, their starting five is probably slightly better than our starting five, but the bench is where you win games a lot of the time. And, you know, we'll see what happens in, in the fog. Dewan Harris, whoever he guards, whether it be Spencer or Newton, is going to give that person problems. And I think this is where it's going to be so important that, like, in the Ryan Boatwright and Shabazz Napier mold, that, that that secondary ball handler to alleviate some of the pressure that whoever Harris is guarding, uh, that UConn can get into their sets and get the ball moving. 
get the ball to Caravan, your connector to kind of find people in their right spots. Maybe uh, the release valve to cling in in the post to kind of to you know shift some of the spacing a little bit. Uh, those are kind of things that I'm looking to watch. Um, do they double off of switches? Like if if they get you know Caravan on an isolation, do we send help? Um, and also kind of like those Bill Self teams like love to run. They're like not like tempo wise, but like they will push the pace with like the rate at which like UConn crashes the glass at an elite level. They're I think what six in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. If they don't get those boards, we kind of saw like in the Texas game, like Texas was off to the races and they really burned us, especially with Klingon on the court, like in transition. And I can see that same thing happening with like the KJ, you know, KJ Adams in the open court, McClure in the open court. Dewan Harris is going to find those dudes on the break. And if we send, you know, four to the glass, there's going to be a nightmare, you know, fast breaks situation that I think will be kind of like the subplot of the game of like, if we're, if we're getting all the offensive boards and a couple threes off of offensive rebounds, that's great. Um, But if we're not getting those, it's going to, it could get ugly real fast. I think. I think it's, you know, again, incredible test. The, the things that concern me are the fact that we know Dickinson's really, really a skilled offensive player down low. And then the other piece we said earlier, which was that, uh, it's really UConn's first true road test, uh, and it's coming against one of the best teams in the country. But uh, other than that, you know, big game for Solo Ball, uh, who's been thrust into the starting lineup. Uh, someone who I think we've seen some good stuff from, even though his shot has not necessarily been falling. Um, he's he's someone who's part of the solid bench, uh, you know, who's, who's kind of in there uh, stepping up for the Huskies. Hassan Diara also, you know, a huge part of that solid bench uh, and someone who's been a very strong perimeter defender for UConn and someone who I think provides really high quality minutes alongside a a Spencer or Newton. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think if, if UConn is able to get all those guys contributing and um, gets a big game from Alex Caravan, like I said, it's uh, should be a good one. And, and, I think, you know, big, big, big test for Klingon. That's, you know, it's, it's really cannot say enough about that. It's, it's the story of the game and rightfully so everyone's eyes are going to be on it. How could they not be? Matchup wise and storyline wise beyond the UConn Marquette game. I think it's even like one of like the games in the college basketball season. Absolutely. Uh, I can't really think of like another top five matchup. I mean, first of all, this is UConn's first top five matchup since 2009. I think they, oh. it was Pitt in Louisville that they had like in consecutive weeks or something like that. Um, but like, it just all like, there's so many interesting matchups when you think of like, can Samson Johnson's athleticism carry over? If you know you have a KJ Adams or a McCooler who are like future NBA guys, it's like that's that's the biggest litmus test. We're all talking about his wall potential. Well, here are dudes that he's going to have to go against on a nightly basis that don't have his size, but like kind of have the athleticism and the motor to match him. So, you know, are is you know is he going to get bumped a couple times on lob threats, and all of a sudden that verticality is not there? Uh, will Timberlake bring anything? I mean, is, is Cam Spencer continue to bring 
you know, to continue to be that dude. I mean, there, there, there's just so many storylines and the fact that both teams are top five, they've had great starts for the season. It's UConn's first road test. I, I'm, I'm so stoked. It's going to be, it's going to be such a it's, sick game. Yeah, It's huge. It's amazing for UConn to be part of it. And I think you're absolutely right. It is. It's one of the biggest games writ large in all of college basketball, which is freaking awesome that UConn's uh, UConn's a part of that. And it's, it's, uh, you know, like you said, Ryan, you're going. It's going to be just a great experience for the fans too. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. You guys think Castle plays? Got react? Got just yes or no? No. I I've got no as well. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't see any reason to. And like I think what Patrick laid out is really sounds much nicer to me than uh, than throwing him out, but. Again, for all we know, he's been like practicing live for over a week. And then if that's the case, I, you know, sure. But I just, I don't think that's the case. So. I have a question to ask Patrick. We know Caravan is obviously, he's a great offensive player. Last year, he got exposed in defense a lot. Like, what are your thoughts on the KJ Adams matchup with Caravan on defense? Like, do you think that because I know, KJ Adams is obviously a really athletic player, but he's, he doesn't tend to he tends to stay in kind of the same area and that he he's not really a jump shooter so he you know he, he gets his money offensive rebounds you know buckets right around the rim not really like stuff drawn up for him right is that in favor of caravan or is that gonna is 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 adam's athleticism gonna expose him do you think in this no game? i think that is in favor of him i'd rather caravan be guarding him rather than like a nightmare situation where if he's on like lecluer uh mcculler yeah. Who's like more of like a slasher. Um, I think Caravan struggles with dudes who are downhill drivers or like the Zach Fremantle types that like give, you know, that have like 30, 40 pounds on him and can just kind of bully him in and back him down. Uh, I think KJ is like kind of like a tweener type yeah. of person. And Definitely. like, you know, you're not going to be like, give it the ball and get out of his way type thing. He'll, you know, maybe give up an offensive rebound or two off of sheer athleticism, but I don't think it's going to be like go at him, you know, just kind of like beat it into the ground, like keep going at him, keep going at him. I think they'll try to get Caravan in switches on someone else, but as like a one-on-one matchup, I'm I'm not super phased by that, but we'll see. Right. Also, Nick Timberlake, four points per game. Good God. (laughs) Uh, he's he's gonna listen to this and use it as motivation to drop twenty on us. On Absolutely, he, he's, he's gonna, gonna he's gonna torch us. He's gonna call us out individually. Be like, <laughs> I heard these three guys talk shit. Uh, out of all of the guys talking shit, they were the worst at it. And he's gonna Ryan I, Day us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys want to throw out any quick hot takes on the uh, top of the Big East? We've been pretty impressed by Marquette. And Nova, maybe a little bit less by Creighton. Any quick hot takes on the Big East you guys want to throw out? I mean, yeah, we Ryan and I both were, you know, commenting how sick Marquette looks. Um, they're they're an absolute wagon, and we love that because that's you know that the higher the ceiling is there, it, it raises the the very mediocre floor that we're realizing with DePaul being just the bottoms absolutely falling out there at DePaul. Xavier just took a bad L at home to Oakland. We talked about Creighton. 
a lot of those up St. John's isn't really there yet. Rick Pitino's already in spins spin zone right now. <clears throat> so all those teams that we thought that would be kind of like good, potentially great, aren't really doing that. And yeah, Villanova got wins. However, I watched those games. I'm still not sold on Kyle Neptune. That was all ISO ball. There, the ball movement there, the assists, like the old Villanova of Jay Wright. I can see why Villanova fans are just like up in arms about that dude, even with the wins, because they're winning ugly and they're winning off of sheer talent. I think that gets exposed in conference play. So when you're kind of like narrowing it down, Providence, I haven't seen much of yet. Um, but Bryce Hopkins, I think, is incredibly underrated. So that they, you know, will always kind of be a lingerer. Uh, but like running down the leaderboard, it really just seems like UConn and Marquette. Yeah, I it, it's been a weird year in the Big East so far. Like Marquette has definitely impressed me the most. I mean, their performance against Kansas was ridiculous. I mean, they, they it wasn't it was over in one half of basketball, right? They were up by ten at half, and they I don't think Kansas pulled within single digits the entire half. I mean, the the ability. The thing that surprised me the most was how deep Marquette is. I mean, I, you know, I, when looking at the Big East teams beginning of the year, I was like, okay, I think we can, I think we can win this conference because I think we'll have the depth to compete over these other teams like Creighton and Marquette. But Marquette, I mean, Marquette goes legit eight deep and they have a lot of guards just like us. Um, I don't know if you want, you guys watched the Kansas game, but that, that guy, Sean Jones, that little lightning rod dude, I mean, Dewan Harris, like I said, Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. He made him look silly. And this that was a guy who like was wasn't even supposed to be like a rotation right. cog. Yeah, I mean, I think he was you know he was averaging like four points a game or something. Um, so that that does scare me a little bit. Um, Villanova, I would agree with your take, although. I mean, when they played UNC, it was Eric Dixon won them them the game. I mean, he had like thirty six points you know, missed like three shots or whatever. It was just, he took over that game. Um, but that, again, that is scary. He did that, uh, you know, Armando Baycott was guarding him a lot of that game and he kind of just abused him on offense. So, and Eric Dixon has done that to us in the past. Not not to that extent, but um, he's definitely had some great games against us. Um, so, yeah, and then Villanova playing Memphis the game after they looked a lot, they looked a lot more connected. Um so I'm definitely still scared of them. I also think uh, Memphis is just fraudulent. Yeah, yeah. they could be. Um, that's fair. They, they I mean, they, they scored. It was, I think the score was 48 to 16 at halftime. It was just absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, I, I would say still, it's 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 us. It's Marquette, Creighton. Even though they got blown out by Colorado State, I still think they're they have one of the best starting fives in the country. Um, so I think they're squarely the mix, but I think there is a pretty big drop off after that. Um, you know, us, Marquette, Creighton, Villanova, Villanova, maybe slightly a step beneath us. Um, and then after that, it's a kind of a big, big step down, I think, but who knows? I mean, the Providence games will still be, will still be dog fights. They got a lot of great guys, Devin Carter, Bryce Hopkins. They have a, I think a five-star, um, point guard and dual. So yeah, they're going to be tough, um, but I don't know. I'm just excited for conference play to start, but also a little nervous because, you know, we last year, obviously, we we went undefeated in non-conference and then 
conference play hit us like a ton of bricks at one point. But we won the nat- we won the natty, so it worked out. <laughs> one thing I noticed with Creighton is, and, and I know we're getting way off the rails here, but that uh, what, what the the guy that replaced uh, Stephen Ashworth, the guy that replaced yeah. Ryan Nembhard, is just not nearly as like a dynamic create you know creator slash like live ball defender um and i think uconn is absolutely going to feast on him that like yeah look trey alexander is a dude and shylerman and is good and ryan kalkbrenner isn't as bad as people uconn twitter were were giving him last year um but i just like think that like that they'll absolutely expose this ashworth guy um and yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm excited, but like I'm sensing a lot of fraudulent activity around some of these teams in the Big East. Um, so hopefully, you know, the Huskies pull their, you know, do their part. I was also hearing some people talk preseason that Ashworth was going to be better than Emhard. And I, I mean, I didn't no. you know he was on Utah State last year. So like I'm not I'm not watching Utah State basketball games. So I didn't really know how good he was obviously he had he had great numbers but and that was one, that's one of those things that like you 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 read a transfer blurb like like all of UConn Twitter did with Nick yeah. Timberlake and they're like oh wow this guy's going to be just as good as uh Nembard and I watched one and a half games I'm like no that's he's not bringing what Nembard brought to that team which was like a like a dynamic point guard he this this dude is like a you know a 40% shooter table setter that is going to get exposed by like a bigger Tristan Newton or a Hassan Diara. So again, don't believe everything you're reading here as far as these transfer rankings. We'll see Nemhard at uh, the Gonzaga game, but uh, some, some results I I do want to run by you guys. Tell me which big East school this is. Um, Jackson state number 279 in Ken Palm winning 88, 81 American university. Number 287 in Ken Palm, 88-83, overtime victory, losses to Rutgers and Holy Cross. I'm, of course, talking about Edward Cooley's Georgetown Hoyas uh, to talk about some of the fraudulent activity occurring in the league. They are giving away tickets, folks, in Chinatown, District of Columbia. Uh, Merrimack up next on the schedule Hoya Paranoia. Uh, Mighty Merrimack. Taking on a new meaning. (laughs) These days, Hoya Paranoia is when you're scared you might lose to Merrimack at home and nobody will be there to watch. Do you guys think the the Cooley hiring is going to work out? I mean, I I think it's obviously very early. I think it'll work out. I think he'll be great. He'll be good there. Obviously better than Ewing. I'm I'm gonna get my jokes in while I can because yeah I, I do think he'll be able to and I and I do think relatively is, quickly is Ed Cooley gonna bite Dan Cooley word for word and just say after like a tough loss against UConn you better get us man because it's coming <laughs> that'd be awesome you, you better get us <laughs> just start copy just start copying everyone's lines <laughs> don't ever give up I tell you what don't ever give up Ed Not Cooley. A... Ed Cooley after Georgetown beats Merrimack in double overtime. Don't Ed, ever give up. <laughs> Ed Cooley's like, I took Jaden Epps. He's not bad. <laughs> if you want me to tell me I fucked up? I fucked up. Mac McClung, Georgetown legend. He's not walking through that door. Oh, right, man. Folks. On that note, that is going to do it for us. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening.